Escape from Plan A. Hello, listeners. Welcome to another episode of Escape from Plan A. I'm joined here. I'm your host, Chris, formerly known as Oxford, and I'm joined here today by Eric. Hey, how you doing, Eric? Hey, I'm good, man. All things considered. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> and uh, in case, and the, the reason Eric says that, I'm sure if uh, any of you have been paying attention to the news, was it just like maybe two nights ago in D.C., there was this incident where protesters were pretty much herded into a certain neighborhood and they would have been arrested uh, had it not been for several of the residents nearby who opened up their homes. And, and it, there was this standoff essentially until the morning when the curfew ended and eric was right in the mix of things so we wanted to get him on this pod to uh you know let him tell us firsthand what happened there uh but before we get started um i I just want to acknowledge uh just like in our plan a extended circle and you know uh, founding group there have been several people going out and putting boots on the ground to this like uh john lee I, i believe is driving people around in Chicago, Jong and Q, who are part of our uh, founding members. Um, they're in uh, Northern California and Houston, respectively. Uh, Ray, uh, also Northern California, I believe, CS in um, in Washington State. And then our friend Amanda, whom you might know on Twitter as at cat content only, she's been a guest on our pods a few times. She and I, uh, so I went out to the, the protest at Fort Greene uh, last week, um, and she and I were supposed to meet up. Unfortunately, it was a little too chaotic. We couldn't do it. But uh, on another occasion, she was actually uh, rather r- badly roughed up by the police. So, uh, Amanda, if you're listening, we hope you, you get better. And, um, and, and, you know, for everyone else out there who may not be able to make it out, you know, uh, keep donating. I, I mean, I donated to the, um, the Brooklyn Bail Fund. Uh, there's this fundraiser by a woman named Nadine Marcello uh, called Help Oakland Chinatown Recover on GoFundMe. That's another thing. So, you know, y- uh, if you can't make it out, to these protests, um, you know, there's so many ways you can help. So we'll be putting up those links uh, in the show notes so you, you can help. Also, just wanted to say how grateful we are to our, our patrons who who somehow uh, amazingly have become even more generous during this whole uh, lockdown period, which, you know, has been so tough for so many people. And we're just so honored that you trust us, uh, you know, to, to do something worthwhile. And, you know, um, we are planning to find ways to, to use this money uh, to you know, help with you know causes like like the protests going on. Uh, so again, uh, thank you so much for your generosity. So all right, uh, Eric, uh, just tell tell us a bit about yourself. Um, you know where you're from, your background, and so forth. Yeah, so um, I am um, a Taiwanese American. Uh, my parents um, immigrated here. Um, I've been in D.C. for about six, maybe seven years now. Um, I came here from the Bay Area, California. Um, and so um, came here to DC for college and um, found a job here. Um, I was pretty into politics, um, or at least I was, you know, what I was good at. And that's what I was interested in um, coming out of high school. Um, and so that's kind of what brought me um, to this city. Um, I think that, you know, my 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 politics um, back then are very different than my politics now, so it's certainly been an interesting 
couple of years. Um, oh, how, uh, could you describe that more? Like, how did they change? Yeah, yeah. So, um, my, my, so as as like a, as a youngster, um, not saying I'm very a very old man now, but um, <laughs> old wise man. But you know, I, I sort of came into politics as many young teens in California did. You know, I was really into you know the whole weed legalization thing. Um, so, I you know was I had a very you know superficial neoliberal outlook um, where I was you know too 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 um, knowledgeable about policy and history um, but I definitely um, was sympathetic to um, out groups and um, democratic politics um, so you know in high school I was you know in you know government clubs debate class um, that 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 kind of thing um, and so that's what brought me here to Washington DC Um and I think that, you know, my experiences in college, um, experiences, you know, coming out of college, um, trying to adjust the real world under the Trump era, um, under the Clinton, under the, you know, Hillary Clinton um, candidacy. I think that those things have, you know, very much um, shaped my experiences. And, and the reason I, why I bring that up is because um, I think that, you know, all of that has kind of, you know, has kind of informed, you know, how how I view what went down on Monday night. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think, I think a, most of the country, uh, I think has changed. E- even, uh, e- even if you were more on the, you know, the type of people who went out to protest regularly, even like say 20 years ago, I do think mm-hmm. that everyone, like you can't, you can't see what, what's happened in the last, uh, you know, r- recent history and, and not, not have changed. Um, I mean, speaking of like change, I, I, the first time I really got into American politics was the 2004 presidential election, and, mm-hmm. and I was Canadian, so it, it was it was this like weird spectacle from a distance that yeah. nevertheless had a big impact on us. And I remember when uh, John Kerry accepted the nomination at the convention, and he, and he walks up to the podium, he salutes the camera and says like I'm John Kerry and I'm reporting for duty, and that was like the big gotcha because you know Bush was derided as a chicken hawk, and regrettably <laughs> I saw that and I was like I was like right. oh my god that's so that's so inspiring. Uh, and that, that was like <laughs> almost 20 years ago. Um, so big changes since then. Uh, okay, but let's delve right into this. So what what made you uh, want to go out to these protests? Because right now, um, the, the big thing is that, you know, we're still under quarantine. This thing has not really gotten any better in the U.S. Um, but, right. uh, you know, what, what made you be like, no, I, I got to go out? Yeah, um, so... You know, first of all, I, I you know these issues have always affected me. Um, you know, for some reason, I've always gotten very riled up by by these um, unjust uh, murders. Um, I think Trayvon Martin was really the first one that you know caught the public's, or at least people in my generation, our attention. Um, and so I've I've just always naturally, um, you know, been animated by by these kinds of things. Um, the reason why I went out to to protest. Um, during quarantine was because, you know, first of all, um, I personally am not at risk. No one I live with um, is, is, is at risk of um, contracting anything too serious from the virus. Um, Are you saying that because of, uh, of your age? Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, but, you know, you know, beyond that, I don't know. I just, I just felt like I, so I didn't go to the protests initially um, the first few nights they happened. Um by by Monday night, um, it, it you know there was other instances of police brutality um, going on. Um, I think 
by Monday night, it was only a third degree charge. Um, a lot of the discourse I was seeing um, on my social media and um, you know around work um, was you know not you know really what I agreed with or not really at the level that I agreed with, and I just felt like I needed to go and you know if anything offload my personal emotional toil about it. Um, so I guess in a sense, now that I'm thinking about it, there was, you know, a, a selfish aspect to it. Um, but, you know, I just felt like I had to be out there. I had to be one of the bodies that was there given all the police brutality going on, you know? Yeah. I could have, you know, I could have made a Facebook post, uh, which I did. I, I could have, you know, said a few words on, um, social media, but at the end of the day, it's, you know, people's physical bodies that are being harmed, um, over these things. So. Um, yeah, in my opinion, don't don't do that that like self confessional stuff. I mean, not that uh, not that I'm saying you did that or would be even prone to do that. <laughs> I, I, I I sometimes go on Facebook and I see like these friends of mine doing that, and you know, of all races, you know, whether you're white, Asian, Indian, uh, whatever, and they and they write like five paragraphs flagellating themselves. And like this is not doing any good for anyone. Uh, this right. is rather you're giving a monologue to to a imagined audience and it's it's like nobody really cares all right and like in a good yeah. way like it's not like you caused this okay so stop acting <laughs> as if you somehow uh made all this happen and, and just go out and do some good you know that uh that right thing. And, and before I, before we get into what actually happened i, I would want to jump off that and say you know well, that used to be viewed as oh like you know white guilt but i think that um as we see you know so way the way some east asians are acting and other groups i think the class aspect of this is starting to show itself. This whole self-flagellating thing. Yeah, because it's um, yeah. because they they know they know they're so embedded, and if they really were that guilty, they would extricate themselves. But then, if they did, they would lose. You know, whether it's their career or their social group or or just uh, their identity, all that would would get torn down. So so this so this is is like their best way of of uh, alleviating that guilt. I mean, we, we yeah. talked about it uh, a bit in our un unlocked bonus episode, and I'm sure we'll talk about it again. But uh, you know, I, I feel you about feeling that sense of responsibility because you know, at first, it I, I think the protests in New York started maybe on Thursday because I, I first heard of, of things happening in um, Union Square, uh, mm. which is pretty close to where I live. And I, I guess I was thinking that because it was quarantine, maybe people wouldn't really go protest or there there might be a bit bit delay and i remember like union square that was where people would meet up to protest brad kavanaugh um or you know you know on tax day uh people would would march to trump tower and you know protest that he releases taxes and you know i went to protest like that um and then i hear about this stuff happening in union square so when i heard about that like on thursday night it seemed like oh it, it's probably one of those again but then i, yeah. I think after that it became quite clear that it was different because by Friday morning, you were hearing about this incredible ramping up of police forces, and I, I was on like Friday. There like reports about all oh, you know Barclays Center. They're like sending like I don't know X number of uh, police divisions there. It's gonna be like it's gonna be brutal and all that. And like uh, you know, I'm I'm also out of that risk group in terms of age. <laughs> I've also already had the coronavirus. <laughs> Oh, okay. and I've tested a positive <laughs> for it so I'm like I you know I really got no excuse so so I had to go and I will say this was very different from any other protest I've gone to I don't know I don't know if you totally felt the agree. same way but just the level of uh just because 
honestly like 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 something like the tax day protest we just marched down fifth avenue it was like a parade we could like make believe that we were the yankees you know going down the <laughs> going down the avenue waving yeah. at the, waving at the crowd essentially the police probably waving back at us yeah you're clasping we, your like, hands the together middle finger to trump tower and we're like mission accomplished but i mean seriously like as soon as i got off the subway near barclay center some uh some woman and she was white just being loaded onto a gurney she looked like yeah, yeah, I don't know what happened to her. And she was not the woman who, I, you've probably seen this. Remember that uh, well-circulated video of that policeman just pushing that woman yes, uh, yes. into the curb? That wasn't her. This was a totally different person who had to be hospitalized. So oh like, like, oh, damn, this is this is different. And then you walk down the streets, there's like police shield walls, uh, you know, various retreats. Uh, like I never had to experience that. And, you know, so it, it was new. But all right, let, let's get to your... Uh, story because I mean this this is something that really I think captured the imagination of, yeah. of the whole country just just yeah. because of how, how fucked up it is and it really does uh, begin to uh, remind uh, people of you know what we thought were unthinkable things that happened in places like Germany where you know you, you had to have good people who took in um, uh, you know people who were being chased by uh, uh, the police and all that yes, yes so all right just just take me take me through that day and night like what happened Okay, yeah, I, I want to go chronologically. I think that might be the easiest uh, for me to talk about this. I'm still processing uh, what exactly went down. So, um, so we went. Um, it was. It seemed to be like it was kind of turned out to be a very peaceful day. So, um, for those who uh, haven't been to DC, don't live in DC, um, there is a street called um, 14th Street, which is kind of a broad. Um, a broad street that is, is sort of a vein that runs um, up up and down north and south of DC. So um, I live I live along that street. Um, so me and you know my friends we we walked down that street south um, directly down to the White House to begin the day of protests. Um, we walked down Lafayette Square and and we arrived about the same time Trump began his. Um, the whole show he was putting on, um, the whole photo op. So we got there. There were there was not that many people there. Is that the thing with all. the Bible? Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. So so when I, so when we showed up, he was in the middle of doing that. Um, at the time, I had no idea that all the tear gassing stuff had happened. I figured, okay, so I guess they're just moving the barricades further away from the White House tonight. Um, we probably spent thirty minutes to an hour there. It was really only a group of. I'd say 30 at most of us um, protesting, you know, saying, saying what we needed to say um, to, you know, lines and lines of police with, you know, more militarized police standing behind um, like the regular cops. Um, one flashpoint moment during that segment of the day, um, a group of young, young black children um, showed up. They stood on the front lines of, of the police um, I had sort of seen them out of the corner of my eye and didn't think anything of it. Um, a few moments later, an older African-American woman started um, giving a lot of shit to um, me and all the white people there saying, how how dare you allow them stand on the front lines? Um, so, Oh, man. Oh, man. It, it, you, you must have felt like shit when you said that. I, I, I felt like absolute shit, and, and she was right. Um I, I I personally felt like I had more confidence going into these things because I just had not experienced a police interaction like that before. Um, I did go stand in front of the children. They were super nice. They were like thanking me. They're like asking me for my name and stuff. I was like, yeah, like do not do not thank me at all. Like I'm doing what I'm doing. Um, 
So there were other similar moments like that throughout. Um, I, 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 I want, I can get into um, what I saw from the police um, maybe at the end of this, uh, cause I just kind of want to go through the chronology of events. Um, but I just want to quickly say that you could tell that the police were hearing the words that were being said and you can see in their eyes and, and their facial expressions that um, they did feel the pain. Nevertheless, they were still part of the system and, um, that that was really really painful to see. So, anyways, um, yeah, I I do want to say like yeah when I when you go out there you will see like I, I remember seeing like this whole line of police officers and they were all black women. I'm just like oh my god like what must be going through their heads right now? And it's just seriously yeah yeah. Anyway, it, keep going. Um, okay, so so those police end up marching forward. Um, at that point, a larger, much, much, much larger group, I think they had been corralled by police to go to where we were. And so now we are in a, we're in a big group um, and we're being marched north, back up 14th Street, that, that main avenue. Um, this was a super, super peaceful demonstration. Um, and there were actively, there, there were leaders within this you know, crowd. I was actively telling people, don't throw shit, don't break shit, you know, keep this as peaceful as possible. Um, so we're, we're marching up 14th, we're marching up through, you know, DuPont. Um, I should also say that, you know, at, at, in this part of the city, 14th street is a caricature of what you would imagine, um, a gentrified part of the city to be. It's got, oh yeah, you know, yeah, it's got, it's got like a dog, like an indoor dog park thing, you know, the, uh, the ice cream shops, you know, the organic grocery stores. It's, it's a super, super white part of town. Um. And and uh, to my knowledge, it wasn't always that way. Um, I think before 14th Street was more of a dividing line than like a central hub of the city. So we're, we're walking up. Um, there's people standing on their balconies. There's people standing on on the roofs of these um, apartments, and, and they're recording us. Um, and we're sort of just yelling, yelling up at them, hey, like, come march with us. Come walk with us. Um, some other people had much more negative things to say, like, "Hey, you're part of the problem. Like, oh, like stop, yeah, like stop recording us. Um, you know, you're viewing these us. These are the animals. people probably just like you know sitting on their windowsill and just recording everyone, right. and Cheering you on, but not actually joining in. Yeah, to to me, it was it was it was like the physical equivalent of the, the black box people were posting. Um, right, right. So, yeah. so anyways, we're, we're walking up 14th Street, super wide street, so it wasn't too rowdy. Um, very passionate crowd and but zero violence. Um, so we're going up, and I'm getting close to my apartment. So I was like, "Hey, awesome! You know, the curfew is in effect now. Um, I'm just gonna walk straight. I'm just gonna walk home because it's on the way. This is perfect, super convenient." Well, the crowd we eventually run into a line of cops that are blocking off 14th Street, and it's a lot of them because it's it's a it's a wide street. Um, and so at at this point, we become much more agitated um, because it's past curfew. We might get arrested. Um, so we start walking the other direction. We start walking south, uh, back towards the White House again. Um, at this point, I think like a bunch of police motorcycles and a cop car uh, intercept us down south. So we essentially feel like we have no other option but to get off 14th Street into the residential areas. Um, now in, in DC, DC is a very weird city. When you get into the residential area, it kind of becomes a suburb. You get all these row houses that DC is famous for. Super beautiful, idyllic part of town. Um, and as we're marching, we're kind of like, hey, this is kind of a good thing, you know? Like <laughs> we're not just we're not yelling at cops anymore. We are disrupting, you know, the lives of people that should hear this message. So 
that was that was a really cool moment. I I really enjoyed you know doing that. It, it was again, it was super peaceful. Um, there were people in their houses. They were supporting us, but not marching with us. Um, and as we're sort of going down this this residential area, the the police presence starts to increase. Um, and and these streets are much more narrow. Um, there's much more cars parked on the side and stuff. And so the crowd is getting getting really really you know we're, we're all getting really close to each other. Um, eventually we're blocked off on one side of the street, uh, by police. And so, uh, we turn around, go to the other side before I, before I got to the other side, um, I start hearing from people in front of me that the other side of the street has been blocked off as well. So now we are totally cornered. Um, this is a super, super narrow street. This is Swan street. Um, as you know, some people following the news may have seen. And so we have, nothing else to do but to stand there and chant um some of the chants included things like oh let us out i heard some people say hey i'm trying to get home like i really am just trying to get home now um it didn't matter and so the cop presence continued to increase to the point where it was like like the entire neighborhood was just filled with police and then that one little block of strong street was entirely protesters um so, so this goes on for, I'd say about 15 to 30 minutes and the crowd is getting increasingly agitated, but there's still like nothing, there's still like nothing being broken or anything like that. Um, and all of a sudden we start hearing, you know, the police chant in unison, move back. Uh, and anyone following the protests know that this has been, you know, this is a tactic they use to um, get protesters to back up. The issue is that, this was happening on both sides. And so we're sort of getting squished by these police lines. Um, I'm seeing batons being waved. I'm hearing spraying. I'm hearing people, you know, bumping into cars. It's, it's total mayhem. Um, at this point, me and the group I'm with are, are split up. So it's me and another friend and then two other people. Um, and I'm, I'm sort of backing up slowly. And I see that, um, people are running up, um, people are running up porches and stuff. Um, and I see one house in particular um, that I was closest to with a lot of people going in. So I was like, okay, screw it. I'm going to go in. Um, I go in and it's it's a total, um, it, it's super crowded. It's, it's a narrow stairway up into this guy's house and everyone's like trying to get in as fast as possible. I'm hearing people like screaming and crying behind me. And so like, I have a hard time fully describing what happened because it was pure pandemonium. I, I, I just eventually find my way into the house. I'm able to grab one friend in there. When I enter the house, my eyes start to burn. Um, and I, I really have to sneeze. Um, and it's just, it, it's crazy. So I, so I run, so I start going up the stairs and then I'm, and then I realize, okay, if the police come in, I'm, I'm stuck upstairs. Also, I, I didn't know what exactly was being sprayed into the houses. So I was worried like, okay, like if this stuff goes upwards, I'm super screwed. So, so I go back downstairs um, and I, I look, I look down into the living room and it's like, it's, it's one of the most horrifying scenes I've, I've ever seen. It's people crying, screaming um, in pain um, from, from whatever we got hit with um, from the police. It's, I looked out the window and like this group of protesters are, are totally surrounded and packed in really tight. Um, this is a narrow street by like way too many policemen. Um, mm -hmm. What percentage would you say of those protesters made it into a house? I would say probably 40%.
maybe okay. under so, a little so bit not under even, 40%. Not even majority. No, definitely not the majority. I think and the did the rest of them number, get arrested? Yeah. The, the rest of them got arrested. And, and the, the way they arrested them was it was a super slow process. It was like one or two people at a time. Um, so, so essentially for the first hour, hour and a half, two hours that we're, that I'm in this house, it is entirely chaos. I'm not even sure who lives in this house. Um, I'm not sure if the police are going to break into this house. Um, so I'm just sort of like walking around, like just trying to like calm down. Um, people are, you know, trying to treat themselves with their, with their injuries and whatever they got sprayed with. Um, and, um, during that, you know, during these two hours, people are being arrested. Um, we end up seeing um, two buses pull up to, you know, take these arrested people away. Um, and and the police presence continues to increase on on the street. Um, eventually, eventually, I sort of take a seat. The resident of the house comes down and gives a little spiel about how um, he does not want anyone to leave his house because um, they are probably going to be arrested. And so we just sort of don't know what to do. Um, we're, we're sort of sitting there just gawking at the scene that we see outside. Um, I remember yelling out the window um, to the people I knew outside. At this point, the police line was already um, past the doorway of this house I was at, you know, Rahul's house. Um, and so my friends had no way of getting in, and they were arresting people who were trying to get into um, houses. Um, so that just kind of happens and it's a, a sort of a calm sort of sets into the house after the first couple hours when we realize, okay, we're, we're in here for the long haul. It's, it's going to be, we're, we're going to be in here till, till 6am. Um, and something, something really beautiful happens where each individual room of the house naturally gets like specialized and, and there was no direct orders to do this. Like one bedroom was for people who wanted to sleep. The living room was sort of like an activism hub where people were like trying to get on social media and connect with people in the outside world to start organizing things. Um, there's people sleeping in the basement, um, people who need to vent and talk, um, go out into the backyard. Um, upstairs, the same thing. People that, are, that just need a place that's quiet to hang out, you know, they, they went upstairs. Um, and so things sort of start to gel um, and become organized. And um, certain people in this crowd I was in sort of become stand out as leaders so um some people following this may recognize um an instagram live i think that hashtag kind of was like save jenny or something so someone was mm -hmm. posted up in the front door window um on instagram live uh trying to hold the cops accountable there was another person who was getting in touch with legal observers to make sure everything that the police was doing um was all right um the resident of the house was getting in touch with the media to make sure people knew what was going on um, there were other people that were just trying to calm everyone else down. Um, and we we're just, we we're just sort of waiting. Um, what, what I start to realize is that this crowd is not a crowd that would normally be friends with each other. Um, you have a mix uh, of how like, so? so, so you have a mix of like, like liberal activist type white people. Um, you have like young professionals kind of like me. Um, sort of littered throughout the crowd. Um, a, a, a sizable portion of it are, I don't know if they were teenagers, but super young um, African American people. To me, it seemed like they were from a low income, low income background. Um, and then you had a few like older activists as well. Um, 
but everyone's just bonding. Everyone's just bonding. Um, I, I remember hearing one comment from from one of the youngsters. They're like, "Oh my god! Like there's there's someone from every single race in here, and that's amazing." <laughs> and we, we're all just sort of looking around, just being like, "Wow, okay, like this this protest might be might, it might be different than the other ones." It's it it really was like a representative from like each strain of American society, like in this in this house. Yeah, I just want to say a couple of things. One is that, yeah, I, taken out of the the horrible context, it is a really great moment. And and you see some of this like really random stuff happening. Like like, did, did you hear what was happening with the with, with the K-pop stands taking down the the police apps and you know hijacking the White Lives Matter uh, hashtag? And and there's this very uh, odd, oddly beautiful um, unity uh, scene on social media between all these various groups that often didn't like each other now mm. finding um, allyship. Uh, and of course, like it, it's happening under a horrible backdrop, but. Uh, you know, you can you can take these little like stories that at least give you a temporary hope. And uh, speaking of hope, I think I think the the big question now is you know is this that different from say you know Ferguson, uh, uh, you know those those protests that happened, and right, right. You know, that that's like the open question, right? Yeah, and I don't think that question is going to be answered for uh, it's not going to be answered unless unless these protests continue. If if they stop, um, I think the, the the answer will be that this will be another. Uh, flash in the pan where nothing happens, um, but that, that's just my that's just my personal opinion on it. Right. Um, so, but there's so, also so, the well, yeah. I don't know. Uh, please finish your story, which is great, by the way. I'm mean, just like totally enthralled by it. <laughs> um, it's so the thing about telling this story is that I it's hard. I don't know. It's so this whole time, you know, I'm on full adrenaline mode. Um, you know, Did I'm you just sort sleep? of. Kind of. I I would sit back and lean my head back and close my eyes and try and relax a little bit. And, and I probably got a couple hours um, in total, but honestly, not really. Not really. Um, yeah, it must be hard to sleep in a situation like that. Yeah. I mean, this house was a, this is a really, really, it, it, it's a big house compared to other DC row houses, but it's still a small house, especially considering it's like, it's like 70, 80 people in there. Um Every room is packed. The backyard is packed. Um, and, and, and now that I mentioned the backyard, it reminds you that, you know, so when, you know, so some people got hit pretty bad with the pepper spray and the neighbors um, had passed milk over the backyard fence, which, which was pretty, pretty touching to me. Um, and I saw online later that um, Rahul and his neighbors had, had never really met before that. So, um, oh, geez. That's, yeah, such, that was, that's so typical modern life, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Or you know this sort of uh, yeah a, a, a horribly negative situation sort of brings people together, um, and that was that was the incredible thing. You had all these you know little moments of humanity and kindness um, going on indoors when the situation outside is 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 wild. So at one point, a police officer walks around the back alley and tries to coax people to come outside, come out through the backyard. Um, Jesus Christ. Isn't that isn't that like entrapment? You know, uh, isn't like you can't. So you, they're trying to induce you to break the law so they can arrest you. That that's that's exactly what I think was happening. Um, thankfully, no one no one took the bait. Um, and what you know, another standout moment was that these protesters were, and and they were they were trying to start to have a, a dialogue with that with the police officer um, with one of them and. They were telling everyone in the backyard to shut up because the police officer was going to give his point of view and they were going to listen to him. 
the fact that they had the composure to to do that while all this is going on is incredible to me. It's incredible, um, and it it really goes to show that the crowd that was inside this house, the group that was on Swan Street, um, th- this was a intelligent, this was a passionate group. This is a group that took the protest seriously. Um, and this was a group that was in it for the long haul and, and they were, all, it was all about the issues. Um, and it was, that, that was really nice to see. Um, well, you know, you, you say things like, you know, the uh, protests were uh, completely nonviolent. They're trying to reason with the police. But then I also hear accounts of how these, these, uh, there's like one tweet that I saw where this person had spent like 10 hours. I don't know. Maybe it was in Chicago. I'm not sure where, uh, put in a cell for like, uh, like a mass cell for like 10 hours. Where the officer just blatantly says, "Yeah, we just re- uh, arrested uh, people at random because you know we want to send a message to the people, you know, tomorrow and in the day after that and the day after that." So it's just like pure intimidation. That that's their objective. It doesn't matter how nice you are. It doesn't matter how eloquent or persuasive you are. Their job is to uh, make examples out of enough people so that people will stay inside. So I, I don't, I have no confidence in this um, idea that. Uh, you know, as long as you're like nonviolent and, you know, you can reason with them, you, you know, take enough pictures with them. I'm not saying you're saying this, but uh, there is, I think, a strong element of that. I, and I've even heard of, of leadership teams of these protests getting into fights at the protest because like certain people want to be more friendly with the cops and, and you know, join in, in like a photo op with them. And other people are like, no, you, you fucking idiot. Uh, that's just a trap. So, yeah, it's, it's yeah. It, I also agree. It does not matter, um, you know, what type of protest it is i'm not saying this group i was with was a better kind of protester i personally don't enjoy seeing the looting but i think it is um super unproductive and a dog whistle to attack that um at all because the you got i think you know you got to stay on message you got to focus on the issues and if you don't understand the you know if you don't have the emotional um you don't, you don't get the emotions behind the looting um i don't think um, i don't think you really get it um, if, if, if your biggest problem is that there are bad kinds of protesters out there, I don't think, I really don't think you're getting it, especially when you look at the behavior of the police. Especially um, if the looting targets are, are like big companies, like, you know, who cares? Right. I, I am concerned for the, for the small business who are already, you know, doing terribly like that stuff. Yeah. Um, I have an issue with, but it, are you going to cry over like Tiffany's getting, getting broken <laughs> into on fifth Avenue? Uh, no, who cares? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, there, there's a picture going around on Twitter I saw today where there were like armed white guys uh, on top of the roof of a GameStop, and it's just <laughs> it's it's a complete must protect the GameStop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like you really cannot make this stuff up. You cannot make um, this stuff up. It's it's yeah. We so, will protect Red Dead Redemption Two from from uh, from uh, yeah, being exactly. Oh, Jesus, that, yeah. like that's their that's their priority. Oh my god. Right, which is not is not a priority at all. Um, so it's yeah so that's that's my sort of little comment on the types of protesters and all that but all but all that being said i think that only adds to how awesome this group i was with um was it 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 was it was really touching to see um some other tactics that the police tried um one of them came up to the door um and (laughs) they had claimed that someone had called 9-11 um, to try and get like medical help. And it was just, I think it was a sort of an excuse to get the, to get Rahul to open the door so that the cops had a reason to, to come inside. But at that point, you, you're already in the house. You're not breaking curfew. What are they going to drag people out? Is it, was that what they were going to do or? 
I, these are probably rumors, but I think there were some instances of that happening, but that's unconfirmed. So I don't want to mm-hmm. give that too much credence. Um, some other weird, like another weird thing was that um, our windows, the blinds were open because we wanted to see what the cops were doing. Um, the cops were taking pictures of the, of the inside of the house too. Right, right. So uh, to get pictures, pro- right. And then uh, maybe arrest these people later. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I hear a lot of people, social media, like don't post, post pictures, videos, but uh, nobody really seems to be listening. Like I, I've, I haven't posted uh, anything like permanent, uh, mm. but you know, it, it doesn't like, especially like, like, you know, professional photographers who are taking pictures for newspapers, those identities aren't being sealed. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I personally had some mixed, mixed feelings on it, but I think at this point, um, I think you just got to know your rights and, and roll with it. If they get violated, then it's, you just got to protest even more. I think we've just hit that critical mass already. Um, but that being said, don't be taking pictures recklessly and like sharing them and stuff, uh, obviously. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So all sorts of stuff is going on. Um, I have a question. Do, uh, do your parents know you went to this? Um, yeah, they, they do now. And, and they're not they're They weren't happy with it at all. Um, all right. One of uh, one of our, our Plan A team members uh, was actually caught on camera in the news um, in, yeah. the, in a protest. And then he said his his mom was like, "Do were you at this protest?" And then he he lied and said he wasn't. And I told him that you should have said it was some other Asian person, and she should stop being a racist. But yeah, <laughs> I, I think it's I'm not I'm not gonna tell my parents. Um, they were like they didn't even want me like going to like the fucking women's march, you know? Um, oh my goodness. So, but I think see, like uh, I mean, this, we're not gonna spend too much time on this pod talking about it. But one thing that does really piss me off is when you know, like second generation Asian Americans just you know blame their parents for everything. Um, you know, anti blackness, all our parents' fault. Uh, whatever. Right, right, right. Um, but I, I think this is one thing where I think we just have to accept they will not understand because they may have grown up in a in a different world where hey, you might have actually like I don't know gotten your like your like balls electrocuted or something if you went protesting we're not you know we're not at that stage yet you know so it, for us it's still it's still a bit more low stakes and also it's like you know they don't understand this world we're in and and as immigrants they're probably less invested in this society than we are uh you know since yeah. we were born here and everything so you know like like you know if your parents like just lie um you know just keep them out of it don't don't go on like social media and write like five paragraphs about how, how your racist parents won't let you go protest just just as i said just lies will set you free you know and just just go do go do your thing. Yeah. Well. So so while this is happening, I texted my mom some vague things that were that some vague <laughs> things alluding to what was going on, but I didn't want to give all the details because I didn't want her to like flip out. Um, and she took it really well. She took it really well. So big props to her. Um, yeah, that, that's really good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I think the reason that I want to do this pod, I, I think there are a lot of uh, Asian Americans out there who are. You know, going out and doing these things, but they, they want to hear about what other Asians are doing. Right. Well, yeah, I don't even. Yeah, it's weird. I don't even know if I care. I, I do care, obviously, but um, I, I don't know. This, this this seems like such a watershed moment, and weirdly enough, um, an opportunity to really call out what's wrong with what's wrong with society. Um, right now, these protests are starting off about you know systemic racism and. Um, you know, the militarization of the police and the criminal justice system. Um, but I, I, part of me feels like this um, is going to develop into 
um, a much broader protest um, about yes. and everything else. I, I think there's America. a possibility for that, but I don't think it has anything to do. I mean, unfortunately, I don't think it really has anything to do with George Floyd or Breonna Taylor or any, or any of these uh, victims because truth is we've seen this before. So it's like, what's different this time? We, well, you might say like the coronavirus, but uh, if the government were handling the coronavirus well, I don't think you will see this level of of like such widespread. I mean, it's like almost like every city, um, as as you said in that as in that protest group, every uh, demographic of people. And why is that? And I think it's because they've lost that fundamental faith in the government. And he, hell, even though maybe the fundamental faith that America is special at all. So in that instance, like what what are you holding out for? You know, at that point. Uh, just just go out and and shout and and break some things. I, I think that's that's the biggest change that might make this different than than previous protests. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah. So okay. So another. So a few other things. Um, you know. That, so I did talk about. You know, there was a lot of unity um, in the crowd. A lot of organization going on. Different people. Different people taking leadership positions and coordinating. Um, on my end, so I had two friends that were arrested. Um, and uh, my friend, he had a personal connection um, who was very involved in the activism, um, the DSA sort of scene in Washington, D.C. So I started, I got invited to this app called Signal, Signal, which I didn't know oh, about. Yeah, yeah. But I guess it has like, like privacy features. And on there, um, there was a whole network of people that were trying to provide legal resources um, to me to eventually pass on to the people that were um, being arrested outside. Um, like I said, it was it would it took a long, long time for everyone to get arrested. Um, they were arresting people one by one by one by one, and um, I, I can get into what happened with um, the people I know that got arrested um, in a little bit. Um, so, anyways, all, all these activists they're they're providing me resources. I'm getting text messages from like unknown numbers. Um, I'm I'm losing track of who is who is exactly who. Um, there's you know all sorts of noise going on in the house still. Um, and so I'm, I, I just, I, at a certain point, I, I put my phone away first to charge it. And I sort of think, okay, I have to stop being suspicious of all these numbers and people I'm talking to on my phone. First of all, because I have a personal connection. And second of all, I, at a certain point, I felt like I just had to believe. Um, I had to believe. I was like, okay, at this point, what's happening is probably that there's a lot of talk about this on social media, maybe even in mainstream media. And I just have to have faith that the people I'm talking to are really trying to help. So um, I, I was sent a like legal aid hotline number um, and I texted it to uh, my friends that were being arrested outside. They were still able to use their phones. Um, and I wasn't sure if they were able to use their pen to write numbers on their arms. Um, so I just had to like, memorize it. I was sent sort of like a few talking points and stuff to like say to like the legal aid people and stuff. And it, it was like just too much for me to communicate out the window to the crowd of people being arrested outside. Um, I also didn't want to um, have evidence of me helping or anyone in the house helping the people being arrested outside. Cause I, I, I was like, okay, maybe if the police see a reason of see like the collaboration that gives them a reason to like bust inside this house. Um, so like I, I just sent a few text messages, um, hope that they they got it, um, and I just was was just sort of watching. Um, and, and throughout the rest of the night, I was getting these messages from people, um, you know, giving me advice on you know, oh, get some sleep, drink some water, like what is going on um, inside the house. Um, 
I, I was even getting news about stuff that was happening in this house that I didn't know about. So, oh, really? Um, like in another room that you weren't in? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, for <laughs> example, so so I got a text that was something like, "Oh, like did the pizza get delivered yet?" And I was like, "I don't know," but I heard a lot of pizza, cheering. Where? <laughs> yeah. So I was like, "Thanks for letting me know." Yeah, and, and I got or I got another text was like, "Oh, like." Um, did you did you get this question from the media yet? And I was like, I don't know. Maybe someone else did, but I, I can't tell you. Um, and so, so sort of, so sort of off that. This is kind of a tangent, but um, a big learning lesson was that was you know the whole disinformation aspect to this. So on my social media, I had said that initially um, the burning inside the house was from tear gas. I realize now that that's a mistake because that is a much more serious thing that happened. Um, and that's sort of caused a lot of like ruckus on social media now. Um, and so, you know, this wait, is what do you mean? So it was a different type of gas you mean that they used? Um, it seems like it was pepper spray that they had, that, it, that they had sprayed inside the house, not tear oh, gas. Okay, okay. And it seems like if it was tear gas, it'd be like a much more dramatic human rights violation is what it sounds like. Oh, I see. I see. Um, so, so that, that whole, that whole aspect, the information sharing aspect kind of hit me, um, it didn't really hit me until this morning. Um, me personally, I was just recording videos, sending them out, giving giving my fucking off that you know, like just shooting from the hip, giving my take of everything that was going on. Um, at the time, you know, I, to me that that was my truth. That was my truth of what was happening. Um, that necessarily yeah. may not. You're, you're not like gonna like sniff and be like, hmm, you know, uh, it smells more like pepper spray or maybe mace or whatever. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so that was, that, that was very, very interesting. Um, another like example of this was, so I found out from one of the activists that, um, the media or people think that we broke into this house. So yeah, I, like, I, I heard about that too. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and apparently, um, people still think, think that right now, um, the DC chief of police is, is making that accusation. And you will right never now. convince them otherwise. Yeah, exactly. And and we can get into the whole optics of it. I mean, at the end of the day, on camera, it's a bunch of black teenagers or black young people, uh, majority, you know, rush rushing into a house. So the natural conclusion that mainstream America is going to come to is that this was people breaking into a house. I can tell you, as as soon as as soon as every everyone was inside the house and it was too late for anyone else to get in, Rahul passed around his business cards and and demanded that his name be let out that we take pictures of his business cards and let people know that he voluntarily let people in that was huge i was you know if it was me i probably wouldn't want my name out there if if i had let people in like Mm -hmm. dude's got a heart of gold (laughs) so yeah so so just yeah throughout you know these first few hours there's all sorts of information being passed around um, this never happened, but like there was a, sort of a minor scare in certain parts of the house that ICE was going to bust in and see if anyone in this house was undocumented. Um, mm-hmm. Thankfully, that didn't happen. Um, and, and so that that sort of characterizes the first few hours of the house. Um, there was a sort of a horror movie vibe almost because, you know, you know, it's a typical horror movie. It's like different personas, personalities, and they're all like fighting each other on like the best way to manage the situation. Some people wanted peace and quiet. Um, some people were telling, "Yo, you're doing something dumb." No, you're doing something dumb. Like it, it really felt like that um, for the first couple of hours. But like I said, things started to gel out. Things started to get organized, and um, a calm set in where we just sort of acknowledged, "Okay, we're in this together," and this is kind of a, a beautiful, 
but wild moment. Um, right, that brings right. me to like the next part where you know everyone was starting to getting like it was getting hungry, and so um, Rahul decides to order some pizza, which you would think is fine. You know, we were just ordering a pizza. Um, what eventually happened was that. So first of all, the police would not let this delivery guy through. Um, this was sort of like the, when the people getting arrested were sort of thinned out. Um, so there was a, a big negotiation going on between Rahul and, and you know the, the authorities there. Um, eventually, what happened was a lawyer had to go go to the back alley of the house, get the pizza from the pizza delivery guy, and the lawyer had to come walk the pizza to the back to our backyard hand the pizza to rahul on the back fence and then that's how we were able to get the pizza the whole ordeal the lawyer took... had to be the intermediary yeah 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 <laughs> Orig- original originally the police originally the police wanted to deliver the pizza we were like hell no hell no yeah what are you gonna put like a grenade in it or or, or whatever yeah yeah or what like he opens the door and the guy just rushes in with the pizza you know someone would someone would say don't open the box it's gonna be a setup like something's gonna blow up um when the police asked to deliver the pizza themselves, like one guy was like, yeah, you can deliver the pizza if you deliver it with all of your gear off and if you enter this house alone. Um, which yeah. I thought was and really, make that, make that you know. cop eat the first slice, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. Um, so that, that was, that was very um, like, 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 so, so part of me was like, I was like, wow, this is in a way like comical. Like it's we're on one hand, we are just a bunch of people in a house, and if the police weren't there, it would be like the weirdest pizza party you'd ever been to. Yeah, it's it's a it's like a it's like a cute little uh, sleepover, uh, you know, taken totally out of context. Yeah, just... and 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 there were a few moments where people sort of forgot that all this was happening outside the house, and it did feel like a uh, like a like a little house party. Um, the reason why things were so tense, over all over a pizza delivery, is because the complete lack of trust. That we have in the police. Sure, yeah. maybe maybe this maybe this cop was in good faith trying to deliver. Really, was just trying to get us food. But like, what reason has been given? Like, what reason do we have to to trust this guy? What reason yeah, do we exactly. have to not be so tense? Um, I'm telling you, the fear I saw in some of these people's eyes was was something else. It, it, it really was something else. Um, that's exactly what they want. You know, that's that's kind of like the. It's kind of like the infuriating thing, you know, like you see like people crying and, and all that, but it's like, that's exactly what they want. And it's, yeah. Yeah. It, it makes it, makes them easier to control, um, easier to manipulate. Um, so, so the whole ordeal of the pizza took like probably like an hour. Um, and when the pizza finally got here, um, it, it was, it was amazing. Like they made sure everyone got a slice, um, it, it, people were thinking, like, yeah, like this is the best piece of pizza I've ever had, and and to me, that that pizza was like kind of like a symbol of the 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 gap, the huge gap between law enforcement and you know, and the people of America. Yeah. Um, How many boxes did you have to get? Like ten to feed all those people? So original, the, the first, so the, there there were more deliveries later on, but the first batch was only was it was only like three or four boxes, I think. Oh, that must have gone real fast. Yeah, it did. It did. Um, yeah. So, so eventually, eventually we were able to get, get more pizza in, but every single time it was this whole process. Um, and it was, it was absolutely absurd, absolutely absurd. Um, at a certain point, 
um, one of the police officers asked for a slice, sort of as a sign of goodwill, I guess. Um, and and Rahul, I think he did end up giving him a, giving the police officer a slice of pizza, um, but he did not, you know, let him in the house or try and have a dialogue with him or or anything like that. Um, and 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 shout out to the to the delivery driver. And it seemed like what I was able to pick up was that he was it was sort of an activism thing for him too to come bring this pizza to us. That that cop who asked for for that slice in Korean, there's a phrase called like "argultukapta." Uh, that means like you, you have a thick face. It means like your skin is so thick you can't feel shame. Uh, I think that would be a very <laughs> apt uh, description right there. Yeah, yeah, I I would I would absolutely agree with that. Um, so so once so so like this is sort of that section of the night, and um, for the rest of the night it was just pure unity bonding time. People were sharing stories. Um, People were starting to fall asleep, and it seemed like there weren't going to be any other developments until until six a.m. So I'd say about probably on four thirty-five, um, there start to be concerns from from the more knowledgeable activists that we were going to be arrested um, if we were to leave at six a.m. Because the thinking was that um, we had still technically violated curfew. and so they were they would still be able to arrest us if we were to leave because they have they have the evidence. Um, by us being in his house, um, and and it, what's what's really awesome is that so the sort of act, these activist networks on the outside that we're communicating with, people are starting to volunteer to pick people up, try to figure out who needs to get where, exactly how many bodies um, we need we need to get out of get people out get out of this section of the city. Um, there starts to be coordination with people in the other houses. To figure out exactly how many rides we need, and also how many people um, can walk, um, mm-hmm. and so the, it becomes a whole coordinated effort and exit strategy. Um, at first, the thinking was, okay, how about we bring in a lot of people, a lot of supporters, and have them outside the front, like clapping as we leave, so that there are just so many eyes that the police cannot do anything without um, being held accountable. That sort of goes away, given all the. Um, concerns about photography and, and stuff like that. So the thinking then is that we start leaving in batches to the point where some people won't be able to leave the house until like noon. So like sort of like a group of like four or five would leave out the back, super low key, um, wait a little bit, another group leaves. Um, well, at this point, are the cops like, are the same number of cops still just watching the house? For the most part, yeah. If they thinned out a little bit, because they had to take care of the people that got arrested, um, but it's still still pretty heavy, pretty heavy police presence, um, and they're just staring at the house the entire time. So anyway, so so we're we're sort of crafting an exit an exit strategy, um, and eventually, um, once we get to like five five thirty, the cops start to leave and they're replaced by the media. There's still mm-hmm. a lot of distrust because during those first couple hours, uh, probably around midnight, um, someone had come up saying they were pro- a protester and wanted to be let inside, and and the suspicion was that they were an, an undercover police officer. Um, and I, I know that there's been similar incidents in New York City where um, undercover police were pretending to be protesters, and so we were like, okay, are so are these? Is this really media or are these undercover cops like just filming us and stuff? Um, there, and then a, a debate breaks out about whether we should close the blinds and, and not let anyone see inside, or if we should keep them open and allow people to um, look out, and but then have the risk of being recorded from the outside as well. Um, 
it, it, it eventually seems like these people actually are media. Um, and eventually Rahul does a FaceTime interview from inside the house with a reporter directly outside the house. Um, that was, that was insane. That was insane. That felt like some sort of like hostage thing going on. Hmm. Um, at this point, the police are saying, Hey, you can just leave safely and it's fine. Obviously no one's going to buy that. So, <laughs> and so we're, so it's like five thirty now. We're just like stressed out about whether we can leave at six. Um, at, at this, at this point, I personally, I was like, screw it. Like my friends already got arrested. I'm just going to leave at six. If I get arrested, it's going to be on like MSNBC. Um, and you know, hopefully that, that makes some sort of impact. So, so yeah. And, and that like at this point it was, we were a fully fleshed, we were a fully bonded crowd. Um, we, we gave a, a nice little cheer for a Um, we exchanged some contact information. Um, and, um, yeah, we, it, it was walking out of that house um was was really surreal it was surreal the door opened I, we walked out to applause and a ton of uh, television cameras and a lot of um protesters there um it, it was it was insane I, for me i just wanted to go home i was i was tired um i didn't necessarily like want to be recorded um and so we we just sort of we sort of hung around um oh and and, and let me take a step back here so um fortunately um an activist had volunteered to pick me and my friend up i had never met this person before um and he had done like sort of like a a lap around the block to see if there were still any leftover police in the area and thankfully there are not so that's that's why we we felt safe enough to just like walk out of the house Um, i see i see Uh, you, you say you had a couple of friends who got arrested and you want to talk about what happened to them oh right right okay so yeah so so first of all, they they were they are outside the house. They're on Swan Street for hours, um, getting arrested, um, and and so they had their own chance and protest going on um, outside, which which was really cool to see. Um, so they they get taken to like some like police precinct, and because there are so many people to process, uh, my friend was basically just standing outside until six a.m. He didn't he wasn't really in a cell. He didn't get released from his cuffs, really. Um, he, oh, he didn't get his arrest room. He didn't get any food. Um, it, it was. It, it seemed super sketchy. He said that when he was in the, I'm not sure if he was in a school bus or if he was in like a paddy wagon. But he said like he started to sweat, and when he started sweating, the uh, the chemicals he got sprayed with like started to burn him again. Right, right, because that that's what how they're designed, right? They stick to your to your sweat and yeah, yeah. Right, right, and and mess with your yeah. So apparently, um, when he was being transported, one guy passed out, um, and then they they tried to like wake him up, um, and it, it seems like he did. Um, apparently, and here, so so this my friend, two friends that got arrested. They're a couple, so apparently the conversations between the men and the conversations between the women were very, very different. Um, like how so? So the, so the women were sort of just like reflecting on the situation, talking about how the sort of ordeal on 14th Street could have been done more strategically. Um, um, the men were talking about how hot the other women protesters were. And like oh just my having, God. Really, having really aggressive conversations like, oh, fuck the police, this and that. Um, and that is very, which is very notable. And I will also say that the leaders um, inside the house that I was in 
The majority of them were women. The men were trying to look tough and talk shit to the police. The women were doing all the organizing and then all the coordinating and all that. Um, you know, they they took leadership positions, and um, for the most part, uh, they're the ones that you know sort of took ownership of the situation. Um, and the, the women I'm thinking about were black women, which was interesting and definitely impactful to see. Um, and I feel like I, I should, uh, you know, I should make note of that. That that I just had another memory flash in my mind. Um, Rahul had like these like mini symbols, and one of like the like the younger guys through they were like super aggressive. Like, yo, I'm gonna grab these symbols. I'm gonna bang them in front of like the window and like annoy the cops. And like, and I was like, no, like please don't, like don't antagonize the police. Don't be tough at them. Like, like the police never went into the house, but the situation was tense the entire time because they're they're in full riot gear. And the only thing separating us is a, a flimsy door. You know, this was a nice house, but at the end of the day, m- most houses in DC are pretty old, and so it would be really easy for the police to break in and, and fuck shit up. Yeah, it's um, like you're in charge of asymmetric warfare. You, 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 that's like you don't don't engage in like symmetrical warfare, you dummy. You know. Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. So, so that was that was that was a really interesting factor um, in all that. Um, they ended up, so it sounds like, and I don't know the details fully, but it sounds like the legal hotline and people I, I had been coordinating with, um, I was able to give them my friend's information. And it sounds like they had taken care of a lot of the legal stuff on the back end. So they ended up not having to pay bail. Um, and they were to let go with just a citation and a, a court date that probably will be BS um, when that court date comes, which was really cool to see. So um so that that's that's sort of what happened with them. Um, I so when I got home, I, I took a quick nap and I got a call from one of the activists um, who had sort of filled me in, like, "Hey, it seems like uh, Black Lives Matter um, had taken care of your friends. I got arrested, um, uh-huh. and and I got nothing but nothing but supportive messages from from these complete strangers, um, complete strangers." And and let me say this. So. <laughs> um, before this point, before what happened today, I am one of those guys that like, oh, I'm really into Chapo Trap House. I'm really into like, sort of like the white leftist humor on Twitter. Um, I'm into like obscure like shit, like obscure takes on politics and stuff. Um, what, what I what I saw, what I saw um, on Monday night and, and on Tuesday morning um, was things I probably would have said was corny or normie or neoliberal. Um, at the end of the day, it was all good people. You know, uh, can you be more specific on what you mean uh, by that in terms of like, like specific like behaviors or maybe slogans? Is, is that what you're talking about? Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there's the stereotype of like the cringy white DSA member that, that, that was the kind of person that helped me out. You know, that was, that was, those are the kind of people that were supporting, um, supporting us. Um, like too cringy cause what they're too earnest or they're. Yeah. Cringy. Oh. Well, cringy cause like they have some, to me, it's like some sort of savior complex, but in, oh, like, I uh, see. Okay. in a way that's almost, I don't know. I, it's, I can't even put it to words. Like it's yeah. So like Rahul, the guy himself, and this is very uncomfortable for you to say, cause he is an amazing guy, obviously. You know, he, he's a health insurance lobbyist. He works for AHIP, mm-hmm. uh, which is which represents um, the biggest health insurance companies in um, in America. In another world, 
this guy would probably have been made fun of by um, leftists as your typical neoliberal guy that's like super into social uh, social identity politics, but you know contributes to a corrupt political system, and therefore he's automatically a horrible person. Um, mm-hmm. And I probably would have been someone with that kind of attitude. Um, my my views on that have totally changed. Um, I, I haven't I haven't really fully figured out how to articulate this, but I, I was talking about this with with a few friends. But this may be an uncreative way of thinking about the next steps moving forward. But it's almost like leftists, progressives, um, they have to embrace like this sort of like normal mainstream America. They have to embrace. This sort of kind, you know, the sort of thing that would appear on like, oh, I can, you know, like you know, those like quick now this Facebook clips that you'll find every now and then. That's like has like some sort of like heartwarming video clip or something. Like that brand of liberalism, like may be needed if we're gonna get a critical <laughs> mass of people on board. Um, I saw on Twitter, pe- on Twitter, people were talking shit about this guy because he was because he represents, you know. What people oh, see because of uh, his job, yeah, like the rotten, yeah, like he's like a typical, you know, rotten liberal DCI that does a lot more damage than good. Um, sure, I mean you can debate that to no end, but to me, and in, to me, what matters was that there was a human connection there. Um, when he was, when this guy was talking to everyone in the house, he treated everyone in the house equally. He demanded that we he refused any money um he let people do whatever they want in the house um one example of this is so there are actually two doors there's one very very thin like glass door in the front um and there was like a more thick like wooden door um you know like more inside the house um a lot of the youngsters they um would they they kept that wooden door open and they were sitting in the front like and through this like sort of like thin glass door we're like yelling at the police um and there was a lot of anxiety about that frankly from the white from the rich white people because they were like oh stop like the police are gonna like bust in here and she don't antagonize them mm-hmm. they didn't care um they didn't care so it turned into a whole like okay let's call the manager situation let's ask Rahul <laughs> if that's all right <laughs> it was all right with him he didn't care he really didn't care he let us do whatever we want just don't open that front door um this this was an, this was an amazing guy like I, frankly, me personally, and I'm probably saying this because I was one of the people he saved. I don't give a shit about his job. The moment is too real right now. The moment is too. It, this this stuff is too big. And if we want to talk about the impact you make, uh, if we want to talk about praxis, um, this this guy sacrificed his house for because because he believed in the message that's being sent. Because he saw value in in these protesters. Because he wanted to protect these kids. So yeah. Yeah. Plus, we, we I'm sure every one of us has on our resume a place that we're all somewhat ashamed totally. of, you know, for for having worked. So it's, you know, at, at a certain point, you know, that that kind of standard is is going to bite you in the ass too. Yeah, and I think people need to. It's it's like, yeah. So so that's so, so I sort of gave you know give run on that. That's sort of the kind of person I was politically, at least. You know, just this this guy that's like really way too in a niche aspect of politics like progressive media like all that shit um it doesn't matter it doesn't fucking matter you're not you're not cooler because you were earlier to the scene you're not you're not more woke because you know you 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 had a realization about class consciousness it doesn't fucking matter it doesn't fucking matter like 
if, if someone's more late to the game, you should welcome them fully. Um, you know, like I, I don't know the part. I don't know who this fucking. I don't know who Rahul voted for in the primary. I don't know what his preferences. I don't know what his politics are. Um, but he did something that was more progressive than you than someone getting angry on Twitter. Like <laughs> at the end of the day, right? Like uh, I, I think pretty much uh, everything is though, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. And I think um, the little corner of the internet that I speak to, the little corner of the internet that I think Plan A speaks to, you should realize this. I, I don't know the politics of the other protesters in the house. Um, I don't know their occupational backgrounds. I don't know what good things they've done. I don't know what bad things they've done. It, it's, it doesn't fucking matter. It doesn't fucking matter. Like, like we're, 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 we're fighting against systemic racism and it's, it was scary, but in a way it was awesome that like so much of DC's police force had to be mobilized all for a group of fucking like this is like I I went to some of the protests the other nights in DC. This was far and away the most peaceful group of people. Yeah, I mean, I, I would just like to see the like the, the uh, like the criminal record of everybody in the house combined. It, it's probably like I don't know, a few centimeters long, right? It's like the the most. I mean, quite frankly, probably like yeah. the most boring people. Yeah, <laughs> just like no, and, yeah. and and they treat you like you're you're terrorists. Yeah, and and, and it's, it's in a way comical. Like the more, like I said, the uh, the decent size of the people there, they seem like really young. Um, I don't want to say if they're minors or not. I I, I don't know, so I don't want to say. Um, they just seemed really young, and they didn't seem a threat at all. I walked when I walked outside the neighborhood when I left. There was no damage, absolutely no damage. It, it was beautiful. I, I mean, when we wind up it, there was one moment that touched me as well where. This guy FaceTimed his mom. He was like, Mom, like, look at all the new friends I made in quarantine. Isn't this awesome? <laughs> and they're all like laughing. Like they, they sort of forgot that the police were there and they were talking about, you know, oh, Drake's new song. They were like watching TikToks and stuff. Like, like this is a group of humans. And there were so many like little human moments that I can't even like I can't think of off the top of my head right now because I'm exhausted. But like it, it, it was freaking beautiful, man. It was fucking beautiful. And and all the fucking bullshit, all the fucking weird shit we debated about got angry about you know leading you know in the first half of 2020 i might just be saying this because i'm only two days out from what happened in my opinion it doesn't fucking matter it doesn't fucking matter we got to get as many people on board with what's wrong with this country and, and fight against it as possible if the police were this fucking scared of the group that i was with imagine how much change can be made when the people are truly mobilized uh, mm-hmm. in this country yeah. it's it, it's 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 amazing it's amazing i i i'm not like what i experienced it was not a positive experience um i broke down crying earlier today in the middle of work because the trauma oh, the fear the fear i experienced had not fully hit me yet that being said even though it was not like, what, what was that fear like what i mean like yeah like being arrested but like uh what the consequences of that you mean like professionally and uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe they'll charge you with something. Is that what you were fearing? No, no. That that that. I feared getting killed, and uh, I'm not <laughs> even black. I'm not, I'm not even black, and I and I, I worried about getting killed. So that's Jeez. a level. That's a level. I was operating on the entire time I was in the house. Um, I can't even fucking imagine. Um, again, I'm probably profiling here. I can't even imagine like what the black and brown people were thinking the entire time. And I saw, I saw genuine fear in, in some of these people's eyes. 
I also saw, but I also did see like, like there were some situations where like the upper class slash white people were like being histrionic and like the other groups were like not as, not as much. So like there, there were some interesting little dynamics at play there. Um, I oh, can't I speak to too many specifics cause like I, again, I was exhausted at the time and yeah, but I would say I was, yeah, yeah, I'm scared. Yeah, I was scared of getting arrested. Yeah, I was scared of make work fighting about finding out about this on on a more subconscious level, I guess. But um, the fear I got was the fear from looking at a fully armed fucking group of people, like thinking of scheming of creative ways to like break into the house. Mm-hmm. Um, Damn. Yeah. You know, and, that's... Yeah. And 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 uh, there was a lot of guilt. I felt a lot of guilt too about. You know, why was I the one that made it in the house? And why why were my friends outside? Why were they the ones that got arrested? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, were there, there other houses that too. people were able to get into? Um, yeah. So there were there were like two or three other houses, I think. Um, I, those houses did not let in as many people as Rumble did. I think I those houses houses had like like eight or ten people in them. Oh, that I being see. said, no, still fully props to those houses as well. Um, but yeah, Rahul, he's he's a really he's a really special guy. Um, when we when we left, it really felt like he was a um, activist coach, you know. <laughs> he's like the the coach Taylor, coach Taylor of of Swan Street. <laughs> uh, yeah, I died to really get, I don't get that reference, but yeah. I mean, oh, you're not a Friday Night Lights fan? Okay, all right. It just means he's a, he's a cool dude. It just means he's a cool dude. He really he really is. He he <laughs> he didn't tell us to go rest. He told us to take over mental health. But he told us to go protest again that day. And I'm pretty sure some people did. I'm pretty sure some people went straight back to the White House when they left Swan Street. Um, which and is which is you're incredible. headed out again too, right? Yeah. This experience has not deterred you. I mean, anything. Absolutely not. And, and when I broke when I had my little breakdown earlier this afternoon, I, I talked to my friend about it. My friend had gotten arrested and he said, um, so he so he went back to the protest yesterday. He said, you know, if, if you're just gonna if you sit in your room by yourself and cry about this, you're not gonna feel any better. Like you should go protest again and, and channel that negative emotion into um, more protesting and more more putting your body on the line for, I don't know, it sounds so dramatic for me to say put your body on the line, but it, it really felt like that, that like that in some moments. Like it, it really felt like to a certain level, like I said, none of the little political shit mattered. This became a thing of like life or, life and death and it doesn't have to be that way. And the cops, maybe the cops didn't view it that way either, but it felt that way because of, you know, just how fucked up the police system is in this country. Um, I don't, I don't know. I don't know all the politics of it. I don't know all the history behind how the police came to what it be. I don't know what the answers are. Um, but, you know, I, I felt some sort of hope, you know, I, I saw what the problem was firsthand. I feel like I have a clearer picture in my head. I, I also realized that human beings are human beings. Um, and the connection that connection will find its way through. Yeah, I don't know. There's it's there's so much there's so much I can you know running through my head. There's so I can talk about this for hours, and I'm I sort of feel like I've been processing this as I've been talking to you, Chris. Um, no, you know, as you said, it's only been two days. This. It's not like you've had uh, you know weeks to to you know sort it through. So yeah, I, I'm just I'm just very happy you came yeah. on on this podcast to talk about it uh, and. Yeah, I mean, I, I I find that story very engrossing, and you know, I I you know, I don't I don't want to hold out to like false hope and stuff, but I I think these things are nice to keep people going uh, amidst uh, all the other stuff uh, that that is you know beating us down right now. 
So, so thank mm. you so much for sharing this. I know you said you wanted to head out again before sunset, but I'm looking out my window. It looks like it's a bit late for that. Um, so I don't fucking care. Uh, <laughs> I don't fucking care. <laughs> I, um, I also wanted. To, I should also say. Um, I don't know, I'm sorry. I'm, I just, I'm getting really talkative. But as I was recording this, there were I hear sirens in the background. I don't know if my mic is picking this up, but they're literally no, sirens no. Going I, off. I didn't hear any. It's it. This is yeah. This shit's fucking crazy, man. <laughs> just, oh yeah. god. Uh, yeah, I hope you stay safe out there. I myself will be going out again tomorrow. Um, you know, people. Uh, you know, if people are in New York or DC. You know, like like uh, hit us up. Um, we can meet up and, and things. But and as I said, like if you don't have to just be going out to help out, a lot of other things you can be doing. So you know, it's it's not just about doing one type of thing. So yeah, we, we all have to have to join in and, and just just you know just be a part of it. Absolutely, um, it's. Whatever you may, however way you may feel about America as a country, um, you have a responsibility for the people that live in this country. So yeah, well, because um, you are part of this country, uh, you know, you, you can't. So and that that that's just it. That's what it is. Like, you are part of it. Uh, you cannot remove yourself from it. Uh, so you you know either you let it happen or you do something about it. Okay, Eric. So uh, thank you so much for t- telling us uh, what happened on, on that night. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure pe- a lot of people have heard about it, but I'm sure this is for many people the first time they've actually gotten an in-depth uh, recounting of that night. So again, th- uh, thanks so much for for coming on and telling us this. As I said, stay safe out there tonight and all the other times you go out. And yeah, and and just keep us updated on what's happening in DC. Yeah, for sure. Thanks, Chris. All right. And thanks to all the Plan A team. Oh yeah. Th- thanks a lot. Have a good night. Yeah. Everyone. Bye. All right. Bye.